Law enforcement officers are upset with legislation introduced by Democratic Congressman Lacey Clay and Ro Khanna. The Peace Act would change the federal standard for the use of force by making it allowable only to prevent imminent death or serious injury. Joining me in studio with their objections and Pat O'Carroll, the incoming and outgoing executive directors of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, or FLEOA. Good to have you both in. Thanks for having, Thanks us. For having us. All right, Pat, let's start with you. What What's the objection here? What is it you see well, in this legislation? When and if this uh, bill is dropped, we have a lot of concerns and opposition to it. One is that it's a, a problem that doesn't need a correction in terms of that law enforcement, especially federal law enforcement, uses you know the protection of life as the whole reason for any reason for using aggressive force. And one of the thoughts on it is is that aggressive force is or force is used in terms of arrests, probably about 1.2 million times a year, and of that where lethal force is used is about a thousand times. So a very, very small percentage. And also too is is our concern on it is is that with this one here is there's a lot of, you know, steps that are being put into a law enforcement officer having to make before he takes le- lethal force. And just a quick clarification, if someone is arrested and they don't resist and they put their hands out to have the handcuffs put on or something or go along with the officer that would not be force. That would just be correct. And as everybody does wish in law enforcement, that's what we hope all arrest situations would be like. Unfortunately, oftentimes the criminals are not going to be just putting their hands up and coming over and uh, giving up right away. Sure. And Don, your understanding is that this bill would apply to active officers in the federal various law enforcement agencies? Yes. Well, the way the bill is drafted, it would not only apply to the federal agencies, forcing them to change policy, longstanding policy, but also would have a carrot for state and local agencies to also amend their policy. And the sad thing is it's trying to upend a decades-long Supreme Court case, Graham versus Connor, which has laid out uh, law enforcement use of force parameters from a reasonable officer perspective based on a totality of circumstances. And in that unanimous Supreme Court case, the justices said that the officer's viewpoint had to be taken into consideration for any use of force incident. Time, context, all the totality of circumstances had to be viewed from that officer's perspective in order to determine whether the officer's force was reasonable or not, which every court in the nation since has used to judge an officer's response in a use of force situation. And whether you look at any of the high profile incidents that have occurred, whether it was Ferguson or Eric Garner or any of them, all of them have been, their use of force has been justified via the Graham versus Connor principles. And in those two situations under the President Obama's Justice Department. And in general, let's back up for a minute. What kind of training in force do federal law enforcement officers get in general? What is the background? What's the culture maybe that's expressed in training? with how use of force should be employed? Well, Tom, that's a good question. In terms of all federal agents, usually you're going through, one, a law enforcement, federal law enforcement training center, which is in Brunswick, Georgia, or academies, which would be, you know, like Quantico with the FBI or DEA. And in each of those cases is part of the training is, is a big part of it is going to be legal training. So they know what the rights are of all the people that they're going to be dealing with. And then the other part of it is a major part now is de-escalation. So what they're trying to teach all these law enforcement officers is when you have the power to be able to take away a person's freedom, you have to have other things in concern as to 
what's going through that person's mind and different ways that you can bring down a volatile circumstance into a you know an easily pliable type of a situation, going back to what you said before, the ones where they'll put their hands up and say, go ahead and arrest me, as opposed to it becoming a physical incident. We're speaking with Pat O'Carroll and Don Mahalik, the incoming and outgoing executive directors of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association. And Don, what do you think the practical effect of a law like this would be in in situations? I think what will end up happening is a lot of federal agencies and a lot of state and local agencies, if they were to adopt or follow this type of a, of, of a policy, would end up stopping uh, a lot of their law enforcement activities because officers would be unsure of what to do. Uh, after uh, the officer involved in an Eric Garner arrest uh, was just fired, uh, the New York City PBA came out and told their officers that before they make an arrest now, they'd had to call the supervisor to the scene to determine whether they should make the arrest or not. So I think those types of checking and cross-checking are going to start happening in police departments. And what you're going to see is a lack of law enforcement activity occur across the board because no officer is going to want to put themselves out on a limb if they could potentially violate a policy that is overly restrictive. And what about the possible, say, effect of legal suits and more actions against officers and officer associations and organizations as a result of this law being in place. Do you see that as a potential? Of course, because then you would open up law enforcement officers to, to a myriad of potential legal filings because of this strict parameters that they want to imply. You know, look, going back to what Pat was saying about federal law enforcement training, for decades now, federal law enforcement and law enforcement in general has taught use of force based on a continuum of force, starting with an officer's presence and rising up to deadly force. Along that continuum, it's not written in stone, it's not rigid. It allows the officer to move up and down a continuum based upon a, their interaction with a suspect. So if a suspect is compliant, then the officer need only to give them verbal direction to take them into custody, which is what we hope the majority of people that interact with law enforcement do. But if the, if the, if the individual is combative or becomes more aggressive or becomes more violent, then it allows the officer to move up the continuum to potentially deadly force. But all that is based on the Graham versus Connor principles and which provide context to an officer's use of force. Unfortunately, what we see in a lot of these situations and with bills like this is that context gets lost. And that context is important because just like nobody, nobody wants the Monday morning quarterback, a, quarter, uh, a quarterback's move on a football field, you know, essentially law enforcement officers are making the same type of split-second decisions whenever they deal with individuals as professional athletes are making on the field. And that's our biggest concern with this is not only the safety of the public, but also the safety of the officers. That split-second decision oftentimes is life and death. And if you stop and you start going through a series of different questions to yourself on it, it's going to put the law enforcement officer in jeopardy. And another example of it would be is, is the mass shooting that just happened in Dayton, Ohio. Those police officers, and without any concern about their own safety, immediately charged into at the gunman, neutralized the gunman before he could walk into the bar and, and shoot a lot of other people. And that's the type of instant type of a decision. You don't want all the officers standing there saying, how old is this person? What's their mental capacity? What's their, their age? What's their race? All these different questions that are in this bill that really become problematic. Now, you both have actual law enforcement experience yourselves in the Secret Service and other federal agencies. What sort of mechanisms are there after the fact when force has been used or even deadly force has been used? Are there reviews? Are there after-action analyses, that type of thing, to make sure that 
Everyone stays within bands uh, voluntarily. One of the great misnomers within law enforcement is that when a law enforcement officer uses force, it's somehow quieted down by agencies, it's somehow hidden by agencies. In fact, the exact opposite is true, especially in federal law enforcement. In addition to the fact that the officer has to write a report and justify his actions, they go through an internal review by their own internal affairs or Office of Professional Standards. And then, in a case of deadly force, the investigation gets pushed to the uh, department's Office of Inspector General. The U.S. Attorney's Office looks at it for civil rights violations. The local district attorney's office actually gets a crack at federal officers for potential uh, homicide investigation, and the local police departments get involved in the investigation as well. It's often a four- or five-part investigation that goes on for a deadly force incident involving federal law enforcement officers. It's one of the most arduous and difficult situations to get put into, Not let alone the fact that they're also subject to a lawsuit on Bivens, on violations of civil rights of an individual which also typically gets filed after a use of force incident. So it's not as pictured by some members of Congress or by the public that a law enforcement officer uses force and they walk away with a pat on the back. It's far from that. And what is FLIOA doing to counter this bill, or what are you doing officially besides talking to me? Well, officially we're putting the word out of our uh, opposition to the bill. We've written letters. We've written letters to the House Judiciary Committee, which is where the bill will probably go telling them in advance that uh, we totally disagree with it. And are you getting support from non-federal law enforcement? I'll tell you the truth, Tom. We really just started putting it out now. And just as you picked up the story on it, other people in the media are picking it up. Other organizations are picking it up. So it's starting to get some you know, pushback from public in general. And, you know, Tom, what's also often lost in this conversation about police use of forces t- today in this day and age, you have the most highly trained professional law enforcement officers in the entire world here in the United States, across the board, state, local, and federal. Um, they work hard. They work diligently. Their training is is, is, is thorough. It's top-notch. Agencies are very aware of the public's, the public's needs, what the public wants. Um, officers use a lot of discretion. There was a recent incident in San Diego two months ago where an officer backed up a block and a half as a suspect charged him with a chain and left his patrol car before finally having to uh, use deadly force against the suspect. So, you know, that often gets missed and not gets talked about by the broader public. Um, You know, you also have a situation where law enforcement represents the community more so than ever these days. There's not a department out there that's, especially in a major city, that doesn't reflect the culture and the demographics of that city. So a lot of these charges that come from pieces of legislation like this or that you hear from other sectors of of the public are just, they're false and they're based on an old thought process, an old ideology that doesn't recognize where we are in this day and age and the current status of law enforcement. Don Mahalik and Pat O'Carroll are the incoming and outgoing executive directors of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, FLEOA. Thank you both for joining me. Thanks, Tom. You're very welcome, Tom. Thank you. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. (coughs) Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola. It's in our nature. Top tech companies like Intel have a secret to their success. 
They get the best talent, reliable infrastructure, and save on costs by expanding in Ohio, the new Silicon Heartland. Learn how your business can succeed in Ohio. Visit successinohio.com.